Today we have Mike Meadows with us. He's going to tell us his journey of addiction to recovery. He started at 15 years old um, and he's 42 now. Is no, I'm correct? 43 now. 43, but you have a year now, right? Right. All right. And he has full custody of his son, but I'm going to let him tell you that story. So take it away, Mike. It's all yours. All right. My name's Michael Meadows. Um, my recovery date is 4-11-2019. Um, I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. Um, not only do I have a sponsor, I have a counselor. I am also, I have a volunteer from Boys and Home Girls group with a parenting caseworker also. She's involved for two years. Um, <clears throat> I have to go to any lengths of my recovery because I can't do this alone. So right. not only do I have a sponsor, I do, I'll reach out to others too for the help I need. Um, I also am clean and sober from no mind-altering substance. Um, that's why I have a counselor. Um, all right, so I'll start off with, um, I was adopted. I was adopted when I was seven or eight months old. I'm not sure. Um, it was never allowed to be talked about in my family. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> um, so I've always felt like I was different. And then when I was told, I was told at seven years old when I was adopted. And um, I have an older sister and a little sister, but not by blood. And um, we were playing hide and go seat one night. And um, it was a school night. And I uh, always hid in the dryer, and um, they could never find me. That's why I always went to the dryer and hid. But the game was over, and it was a school night, and they sat us down the stairs when I was seven, and they told me that I was adopted, that they wasn't my real mom and dad. And um, that's what started the ball rolling for me. Um, <clears throat> I... Uh, didn't know what adoption was at seven years old. It crushed me. I didn't know if I was playing the game wrong or not, but um, I was I was crying. I can remember it vividly. Um, it was, we were sitting on the stairs. My older sister was behind me and my little sister was in front of me and I was in the middle. And, um, hey Clark, Clark. And um, so that, that right there crushed me. Um, <clears throat> Um, so through through my childhood, I, I rebelled. I got kicked out of school. They put me in a private school. Um, you know, it was tough. I had to ride my bike from home to school. Um, I did that. Um, I always got in trouble in the neighborhood. Um, I was wild, uh, wild and crazy, and I was always trying to get attention. Because that's the only way I knew how to get attention from my mom and dad. They were always workers. They always traveled. We grew up with a nanny. Um, you know, they wasn't ever around. They were, but they wasn't. And, um, you know, it was very hard for me in my childhood years. And to fast forward, I, um, when I turned 15, I, uh, oh, by the way, my, 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 um, my parents graduated from University of Georgia. My dad was a pharmaceutical and he moved, he went to Eckerd's and became um, part of Eckerd's. So we moved every three years in the Southeastern region since I was 12. 
12 years old. So um, that okay, was so hard. You on felt like you had no roots anywhere. You find out you're adopted. You're moving all over the place. Where do you fit in? Yeah, I, ne I, I never did fit in and I never got to grow up with my friends or anything. So um, that was real tough. It was real hard. But, um, you know, I, I kept going to all these different schools and, um, you know, meet new people. I, I know a lot of people, but I didn't get to grow up with any of my friends. Um, right. It was really, really tough. So at, a at age 15, um, we moved to Somerville, South Carolina, which is outside of Charleston. And I'm that was a high school. in South Carolina. Yeah, that was a very big high school. It was section ninth and 10th grade and 11th and 12th on another campus. It was a wow. huge high school. And I was never used to that because it had cliques. It had your preps, your country, your blacks, your whites. Your... And I was considered a wigger because I was in between like black and whites or whatever. But, you know, um, that's when um, the ball got rolling for me and my alcoholism and addiction. Um, I, um, as, as I was growing up, I always been, um, I was never good at school. I couldn't sit still. I had ADHD. They had me on Ritalin. Um, I've been to plenty of counseling, um, you know, and I just couldn't focus in school. I, I, I was, um, just trying to fit in man and, and and i kept to myself though but I, I always acted out in school i was a class clown you know i was in put in smaller classes they thought that would be better for me but i was never there to really even try i was a class clown i skipped school you know and then i got introduced to um alcohol and cocaine and um by this year, I think I was in ninth grade, I, I totally quit school and I had this great idea that I was going to run the streets and, and do my own thing. I didn't need school. And um, I was drinking and, and doing cocaine. That was my, my drug of choice right there. I like the balance of those two. Um, right. And suddenly you fit in because as right. long as you're all doing it together. Absolutely. You know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all so, those feelings of not fitting in just kind of go away when we discover, you know, the mind-altering right. substances. Right. So I'm a, I'm a real emotional person. I don't know why I am that way, but um, I always hit it. I hit it real well. And then with alcohol and, and, and cocaine, that was, um, that was my way to deal with my emotions and feelings. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it put this mask on that I was invisible and hard and and all this stuff and um you know i quit school like i said i started running the streets i was doing my own thing um and and, and that's 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 how the ball really got started rolling for me is um i was always you know just doing whatever i wanted to do it was me against the world that was my attitude you know i i didn't care about consequences or nothing i did what i wanted to do and with alcohol and, and drugs, man, it made me even invincible. So right. uh, now, what were your parents doing while you were doing this? My parents, they um, they let me live at home. They wasn't, you know, okay with my decisions, what I was doing. But I hid it from them. I hid it from them. They they knew I was drinking, but not like that. They didn't know about the drugs until later on in my life. Um, but my dad was like, well, since you're, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do and not follow the rules and stay in school, you need to go get your GED. And I always like, okay, I will, I will, I will. And, um, you know, I never did. 
And then, you know, moving, moving um, every three years, I had to get a job. My first job was a bagger boy at uh, Winn-Dixie, I think it was, when they first opened up in South Carolina. And, you know, I made tips. I was a bagger, you know, but mm -hmm. that didn't last long. That didn't last long at all. Uh, I was stealing alcohol from them. I was still ripping and running the streets, uh, you know, doing my own thing. Um, and then, you know, uh, we moved again. And then um, I think we moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which it's Hickson outside of Chattanooga, up on the ridge. And um, I would try to go back to school, but it was it was just to meet people and find more connections what i was doing and i met my girl my first girlfriend there and um i was selfish and uh i thought having a family would fix me and um so i purposely got her pregnant i was 17 she was 16. oh wow yeah yeah she got pregnant and um and then her mom found out and said, um, if I don't marry her, she will have it aborted. And um, I was adopted. I don't believe in abortion or adoption at the time, but I was also young too. So I agreed to get married. We got married when I was 18. She was 17. My first child wasn't even born yet. She was pregnant for the wedding. Um, <clears throat> that, that marriage, I ended up having two kids with her. That marriage lasted three years but it was very toxic we were very young using drugs together you know um i did work for her dad making pretty decent money had my own company truck doing a boiler work um but that didn't last and then we moved again and um i'm trying to figure out we moved to Asheville, north carolina from there um and then that's that's my alcohol and alcoholism and addiction got worse up there i uh kept getting in trouble I, you know I've, I've gotten several duis since then i think i was on number four at the time then i don't remember how old i was um i started uh going to the hood to to uh get my drugs and um, i was getting ripped off and robbed and all that but I had this great idea that I was going to keep coming back and show my face and, and, and get what I wanted to get, no matter the consequences. I didn't right. care. Right. We don't. And, we don't care. No, absolutely mm -mm. not. Mm -mm. And I was going to make it, I was going to make it known that I was going to keep coming back no matter what. And, um, you know, as, as time went on, I ended up, you know, my parents started finding out what I was doing. I kept, um, I kept getting in trouble, getting arrested. You know, I have felonies, I have misdemeanors, I have, I've, I've been to prison uh, three times. Um, now, can know, I ask uh, you a couple of questions? Um, yes. Now, around this time, were you having any contact with your first family? No, no. Okay. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. And then, um, can I ask you what your felonies were? Yes, I have a uh, felony larceny felony credit card fraud, credit card theft, felony checks, felony check frauds. And um, I mean, I have a whole bunch of, I don't remember all my charges. I was always, I was always messed up. So yeah. I don't remember everything. And it's usually I know my, a way to get money. Yes. Is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so I'll explain <laughs> that situation, how I got those charges. Um, so um, I will go back. My first bid was a year in Columbia, South Carolina and Bush River Road 
age 15, we were partying in Charleston and the high school wrestling team was over there. And that's what we did. My parents were always gone. We threw parties at our house and the wrestling team was over there and they wanted to go down the street and hook up with some girl that we went to school with in my neighborhood and we were all drunk and high and I heard they wanted to jump me and they was going to go no matter what. It was like two or three in the morning. I'm like, we live in a nice neighborhood. That's stupid. So I got my dad. I got my dad's gun and I went upstairs and got his 45 revolver and I, you know, they started walking down the street. So I went after them and they circled me. They was going to jump me, whatever. So I pulled the gun out. My intentions were not to kill anybody or anything like that at the time. But I, uh, I did pull the gun out when they circled me and I shot it up in the air and they got scared and scattered. And I um, went and got in my low rider truck because I was in the Lowriders at that time. I think mm-hmm. that was in 1991. Um, and put the gun in the seat and drove around the neighborhood to cool off. And the next thing I know, 15 cops came from all the entrances of the neighborhood, were chasing me through the neighborhood at 2 or 3 in the morning. And I was rushing back home. And I jumped the driveway in my Lowrider truck to get in the garage. And as I got out to hit the garage button, all the cops had swarmed the house and had guns drawn on me and told me if I moved, they were going to shoot me. Wow. And I was that close from shutting the garage because I knew I had the gun, but I was so messed up. I didn't know what to do. It happened so fast and I didn't get to shut the garage. So that you was my 15. 15. My first bid was a year in Columbia, South Carolina. That was the roughest. That was juvenile because I wasn't right. an adult yet. That right. was a rough time for me, but I did end up getting out. On good behavior, I made the basketball team. I love basketball. Always played basketball. Um, And they let me go. You know, I was looking at 15 months or a year and 15 months, something like that. But they let me go in a year because I made the basketball team. So, um, yeah, back to to, um, moving back to Asheville and the games. I mean, the the hood and all that. Um, It got got really, really bad. Um, So... I thought the good idea was to move back to Charleston at the time, and I ended up getting – now, mind you, I've worked in the restaurant from 18 to 42, so I got 25, 25, 26, 27 years of restaurant experience because that was easy to get alcohol and find my drugs, especially mm-hmm. cocaine. Yeah. And, um, you know, I uh, – I – um. Yo, Coso's there on the on Little River, and I hooked up with another girl there that was a bartender, <clears throat> and we ended up, you know, dating, and then she got pregnant, and I got two kids by her, and we got married at the courthouse, and that didn't fix that problem either. I was right. out, I was out there working, and then on my off time, I was going the hole in the wall clubs, doing um the the racing with techno and and rap and all that stuff doing the glow sticks, but Mm -hmm. then it introduced me to um, not just cocaine, alcohol, it introduced me to ecstasy and ketamine, and um, um, I've done some acid too, so then I became um, affiliated with uh, the Hells Angels down there because they could get the coke and and ketamine, and they were telling me how I could get it. We were breaking into veterinary clinics at the hole in the wall uh, bars while we were raven and all that um and um i would have girls go in there and scope it out before we would 
figure out how to get through the back door and know exactly where the ketamine was. And we were still in vials of ketamine and then cooking it up and selling it into powder. And then the potent only lasts for 24 hours once you cook it down. So, uh, yeah, um, then, um, you know, with my second wife, uh, we had two kids. That didn't last, but three years, I think, three, four years, uh, moved back to Asheville, got away from the Hells Angels. Um, you know, um, then I came back to Asheville. It, it just got worse. I, I kept coming back to the hood. I got in with the hood. I started, um, you know, I was, remind you, I worked the whole time because I always chased money. Money was my right. thing. Money solved all my problems. Right. Money, money, was, money, money was my go-getter to solve all my problems so I could get what I needed to get. Right. Right. But then I, I kept doing my thing and, um, <clears throat> you know, I got in with the hood and I started meeting the plugs and I started, you know, doing, um, um, things for them that, you know, I, my sponsor knows about, I really don't want to go into details about That's that. Fine. Mm -hmm. um you know um um and it just escalated from there man like i was i never slept i never never slept um when i did my body would shut down and i would get sleep but i've lost so many jobs because i would always call in of just no call no show but they would bend over backwards for me because i was so good at uh what i was doing i, I knew how to interact with people i was basically a bullshitter so <laughs> i knew how to con, i knew how to con my way to get my money <laughs> we're good at that oh yeah yeah oh yeah and um i also you know i also with the credit cards i knew how to i knew how to bypass all that stuff too um and make extra money too um yeah crazy crazy insane amazing stuff if we would just put some of you know like five percent of the effort that we put in and the skills that we used yes. for drugs and alcohol into something yes. positive i mean it'd be amazing the results that we would yes get. absolutely um and then um you know um I, I moved back to Asheville. you know my dad found out he had prostate cancer they gave him a year to live um he ended up not making it a year and that's when it really, 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 really got bad for me. Um, he uh, he only lasted six months, but I got the opportunity to move home and help my mom. But now, I remind you, my family situation was very unhealthy, very negative, and then coming back into that scene when he was dying of uh, prostate cancer, <clears throat> I was there, but I was always high and drunk. That's how right, I dealt with right. it. I ended up mentally um, and emotionally there, just physically. Yes, absolutely. I was always, um, I wasn't working. I was just doing my thing. And um, I, I was stealing from my family because they had money. The people I was running with never had money, but I was basically doing it for me, but also to keep my associates with me too, because I didn't want to lose the connections I had. Right. So I was stealing my mom's briefcase of jewelry um all her bottles of wine that she got from all over the country drinking ass was still in her car you know my dad was out of it he didn't know what was going on uh on probation my, basically my whole life um i was in and out of courts you know through this process um i didn't know how to deal with it um it got to the point where my dad was getting uh really really sick he's he started ending up looking like an Ethiopian because he couldn't hold down food. He was getting water in his brain. He couldn't function. <clears throat> so I would steal my mom's car and 
I stole my dad's credit cards and um, activated them um, after he passed away. And um, I didn't, I had this bright idea, well, I can't get in trouble for this. He's deceased, so they shouldn't let me activate his cards, even though I had his social security number and birthday. That's all I had to do on the phone is activate it that way. And he had unlimited credit. So, you know, I activated 15 credit cards and that's how supplying the hood, my addiction, my alcoholism, I was, I was the man at the time, but you know, it did, it, it just, now that I'm clear headed, it was, it was the stupidest thing. Like I didn't care. I went to any lengths of my addiction and alcoholism and I didn't care who got in my way, who I hurt, what I did, even my family. And, um, you know, when, when the funeral came, I was, um, I was so messed up. I went to a friend's house and, uh, this was the day before his wake. And, um, I was so messed up on coke and alcohol I didn't want to live. I took my dad's shotgun. I went to the guy's house. He couldn't deal with me. So I went down in the basement with a shotgun and I had it upright against me sitting on the couch in his basement in the dark. And I don't remember what happened, what, what stopped me, whatever. But I just remember waking up and this dude was in my face, yelling at me, slapping me, waking me up. Um, I guess I fell asleep or blacked out. I don't know what happened. Wow. But I woke up and it, and I knew my dad's weight was there the next morning that we had to go to. And I, uh, I procrastinated. My next drunken high was more important than making it on time. And I went to my parents' house and, and was rambling through their stuff and um, trying to get my fix. And I did. And I ended up making it, but I was late. And as soon as I walked in, by this time, my family knew what I was doing. They, they were done with me. They would just right. allow me to be there for my dad. Right. And uh, first thing, as soon as I walked in, they accused me of stealing his Rolex watch because of all the stuff I did with my mom and credit cards and stuff. And um, I honestly didn't steal that. I didn't steal his Rolex watch. Now, if I would have found it, maybe I would have done that. Right. But at the time, right. I, I don't know because it didn't happen. But I promised and promised, and it became an ugly seen at my dad's wake and I I just kept crying and pleading and you know telling them but who who am I to make someone convince them that they believe that I didn't do it after all the crap I was doing I didn't understand that we lie ourselves into a corner and then expect people to believe us when we're telling the truth absolutely so you know I ended up leaving and then um you know that's that's when I that's when I really really got um heavy and I didn't want to live I I lost my dad he was a rock of our family and he never gave up on me even though he wasn't there for me the way I wanted him to as a father-son relationship but he always bailed me out of trouble and he was always there supporting me no matter what but um I ended up I ended up being homeless they gave me tough love. They, I couldn't live there. I ended up being homeless, went to a homeless shelter. But the homeless shelter in Hendersonville, North Carolina, is right in the hood, right where I was copping and doping and drugging and drinking and doing all my crazy stuff. Right. So that was hard for me. But I ended up, I ended up doing a eight-month Bible recovery program there just because 
I was selfish. I didn't want to be on the streets from seven in the morning until six at night. You know, I wanted right. to stay in and then, you know, recuperate or whatever. But, you know, you know, that was a religious program and, and that didn't work for me. I did the, I completed eight months, but as soon as I got out, I went right back to what I was right. doing. And I was right. not honest the whole time. I was still doing my thing on the side. They didn't know about it. And, um, you know, after that, I was, um, I didn't go back. I, I I remember, I remember breaking in cars and stealing and robbing and, and doing whatever I had to do to eat and survive and, and get my fix of alcohol and drugs. And um, you know that that went on for a long period of time. And then you know, I, I when I wasn't allowed at home, I broke in, stole my mom's car, and then that's when I did the credit card things and um. I was gone. Mind you, I was on probation. I had an ankle bracelet on at the time too, but I didn't. That didn't stop me either. Right. I, uh, you know, I was supplying the hood. I was bringing them flat screen TVs, DSs, uh, whatever they wanted. They liked electronics. They liked jewelry. They like. I would even figure out a way to get them those gift cards. Mm -hmm. You know, with with hundreds of dollars on it or five hundred dollars or whatever they needed, just so I could get. A, I'm the type of person that I have to have an amount of, of cocaine and an amount of alcohol. And I always kept, you know, always kept the cheap alcohol. It was King Cobras was my favorite thing. I kept, I drank about four or five a day. You know, oh, wow. I didn't care. I didn't care about drinking and driving. I always drunk and drive. And, um, and I always carried cocaine on me just cause I love the, the balance. But, um, I ended up, I think I was gone for like two weeks and I was in a hotel and um, I just was trying to kill myself with, with drugs and with cocaine and alcohol. And I just, I, I almost got there. I got a hold of this batch and I was in a hotel and it had, I didn't know at the time, but it had rat poison in it. And um, I knew who it came from and I was going back to them that night to, to take care of them. And, um, but I never made it because I felt like I was going to die. Like, and then I was thinking about my dad and I was thinking like, well, I'm about to go meet my dad. I'm about to die. Um, they called the people that were with me called the ambulance. By the time they got there, they, um, you know, I was on probation. They told me the cops showed up. They told me to ride with them. The cops couldn't do anything if I went with them. So I went with them, come to find out it had rat poison in it. But they said I was so high that I felt like I was going to die, but my heart was just racing too fast. Yeah. But, but it had rat poison in it too. So it could, I could have, I don't know. I don't know. I, I made it through, but then, you know, after that, I just, you know, I, um, returned my mom's car back and, um, I went to take a shower in her house and she wasn't there. I broke back in. It's a gated community neighborhood in Nashville. And I'm, I didn't, I know how to break into things. So I broke in, took a shower. And next thing I know while I'm in the shower, the police was there. And um, I was, I, you know, I own everything I did, but I always try to not get caught too. Oh, right. So I finally, I was surrounded. There was nothing I can do. So I finally opened the door and they was like, Mr. Meadows, how you doing? I was like, yeah, I know what time it is. And uh, they took me to uh, jail, went to the county in Buncombe County for nine months in a single cell i couldn't get out but one hour a day um 
I, the reason I stayed in the single cell for nine months was because I was trying to fight the case because I'll have other charges pending and stacked up and I didn't want to get hit in the head with all the charges I had. And, um, so I didn't get it. I didn't get to fight it. My mom came to court and she totally started crying and made the judge feel sorry for her and went against everything. Like she basically was tired of it and disowned me. Mm -hmm. So I ended up cop copping a plea with them and um, going to prison. And um, I told them that they would consolidate all my charges together. No restitution, nothing. Just just do my time to gas the bus up. So, mm -hmm. um, so they did that and I went to prison. This is, this is the second, no, third time I went to prison. It was 2008 to 2010 and then I got released from there um and by the way while I was in prison I was the man on camp because I've been cutting hair since 15 till now just for a hobby I enjoy cutting hair so I made the barber I was a barber on prison on state and um that helped me I had no canteen no family support no letters no money coming in so right. I hustled tobacco drugs I did special haircuts and facials and that's how I survived. Um, but, but um, you know. So even in prison, we all know, I mean, let's face it, we all know there's drugs in prison. So yes. even in prison, you weren't getting clean. No, absolutely right. not. Right. No, we were making buck the whole time. Um, that's some nasty stuff. I don't recommend it. But, <laughs> but I will say that's how bad my alcoholism. It didn't matter. If it got me drunk, I'm going to do it. If it got yep. me high, I'm going to do it. Yep. Um, not only that, I've done... I've drinking um, mouthwash to get hot. I mean, mouthwash. I mean, how gross is that? But I didn't care. I wanted that. I wanted that feeling, so I didn't have to feel. And um, but uh, yeah, when I got out of prison, I had this great idea. No, before I got out of prison, I want to say this. This is how manipulative I was. I did get my GD in prison, but I cheated. There was a guy in prison that looked just like me. So I conned him. I would give him free haircuts and facials. And I never understood why everybody wants to look good in prison. I understand for vet family visits, but these guys were coming in like three, four times a week. I don't know if I was that good or they just wanted to look nice in prison or what, what the case was, but I didn't question it. But this guy conned him into um, going in and cheating on my test and taking a test for me. So I gave him my state ID. And, I, and he looked just like me, and he went in, and he passed everything for me. Now, I remind you, this is how I didn't care. We had a fire drill that day, and I, was, I thought we was going to get busted because they do head counts and stuff, and right. they were in there taking tests, and they had us separated. Now, I'm out here on one side of the yard, and he's on the other side of the yard, and all they did, they didn't even look at the IDs. They just had, did head counts. And I don't understand how these teachers didn't know we wasn't the same piece people but it, it is what it is but uh you know like I, I would always try to figure out a way to make things easier for me even though it was hard mm -hmm. or con or cheat still a lot that that was me I was a selfish selfish horrible person but um when I, back to when I decided to get out when I was getting out of prison I had nowhere to go so uh, I had this bright idea all the crap that I've been to I wasn't gonna be homeless no more I wasn't gonna go to no recovery program no more I wasn't gonna do this I wasn't gonna do that but I had to bullshit myself into a halfway house and they were going to drop me off in Raleigh North Carolina 
and I'm not from there. I don't know anybody there. But I conned my way into getting to a halfway house. I ended up getting a um, – remind you, I've never had a license since I was 15. I got them taken away after my third DUI when mm -hmm. I was – by the time I was 18. So um, I uh, went to Raleigh, got in a halfway house. I got a job at uh, this New York pizza place, but it sold entrees too. It was a family-owned restaurant. And, uh, you know, I, I had everybody convinced that I'm on the right path, doing this, doing that. And, um, but I wasn't. It was just a job because you had to have a job in a halfway house and, and you had right. to follow rules and stuff like that. So I, 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 I lied my way through that again. And um, um, I did hold the job down. Um, I did what I was supposed to do to a certain extent just to keep my, 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 my bed in the halfway house, but I was out there selling drugs. I made myself known in the hood. It's a big, it's a big area. It's a bigger town. Uh, it's a fresh start for me. I can do this whole repeated thing, and but I was going to yep. get on top this time and I was going to make it and I was going <laughs> to become the plug. And it took me a long time. I'm going to say a long time to get in the hood and keep coming around. And, and I, and I'm going to tell you, uh, I, uh, I did some horrible things. Um, I've robbed people. I've, uh, I've gone after the plugs. I, um, kept going back to the hood, making myself known. I, uh, was living one life, but I was living another, but my main goal was to be, rich and become the plug so I would never have to get in a situation where I could uh, run out of my cocaine. And I, I mean, I always had alcohols, always drinking, but I was never going to run out of cocaine. And, um, you know, like I said, my sponsor knows everything. So I don't want to get into glory, glorifying what I was really, really doing out there. Right. But I ended up, I ended up becoming one of the plugs and I was running with the Bloods and Crips, but I was more Crip than Blood. Um, we got along, we were partying together, but when it was time to separate and do our thing, we had to go to our ends. But um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I, I was involved in that and um, I was doing some crazy, crazy things, but I ended up, I ended up becoming the plug, like I said, and I, I ended up meeting Clark's M.O.M., um we met in hickory north carolina i was 13 i think we dated for like off and on for like a year but we lost contact over 25 years and she moved to raleigh she was um the director over johnson and lexus uh corporation up there she was doing really good we found each other on facebook and she came to the the new york um pizza restaurant family-owned restaurant i was working at and i bought her a glass of wine we got called up and then I was still living at the halfway house, but I got kicked out because I finally failed my drug test. Mm -hmm. So she convinced me to move in with her. I moved in with her and we were back together um, after 25 years. And I was basically using her for a place to stay because I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't want to live in the hood. It was hard for a white boy to be in the hood. It really mm -hmm. was. It was really, really hard. But uh, you know, I didn't know at the time 
she didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what she was doing. I thought her head was all right, doing the right thing. But I, like I said, I was using her for a place to live. But I did care about her. But um, it got to the point where I knew something wasn't going on. She was taking pills, but I didn't know it was more than that. But like I said, she didn't know what I was doing. But I always, if I lost my job in the restaurant, it was so many. I kept a restaurant job. Right. Um, when I moved in with her, I quit the New York style restaurant with her, with them, because I was so far out. I was in um, um, Wake Forest at the time, and they were in the middle of Raleigh, so it was hard to get to work um, with no car license. So, um, I, like I said, uh, we, um, she ended up getting pregnant with Clark, and um, I knew something was going on because she wasn't coming home at night. Um, she, it got really really ugly between us um it got basically toxic but i still stayed because of clark and um and um she uh she would come to find out that um she was doing more than just pills now we um we stayed together and was trying to work it out but it was just a lot on both ends and um right by the time clark was was ready to be born you know um she just lost her mom she's already lost her dad and her, she lost her mom three weeks before Clark was born. So oh, she was depressed awesome. plus yeah. whatever she was doing. And um, <clears throat> so when um, we, uh, Clark, Clark was born three weeks early, three weeks to a month early. Um, that's when um, I didn't think he was going to make it because I've never seen I've been through four pregnancies and, and I've never seen her, I've never seen someone throw up green, throw up. I don't even know how to describe it. I just know the color was green and it was not, it didn't look right. It, I thought she was basically throwing Clark up. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> even, though, even though I knew that he was fully uh, grown in his, her stomach, still it, it freaked me out. And I'm like, you know, you, you, something's going on here so we rushed her to the hospital and uh, they induced her labor and then that's when i found out she has been doing heroin the whole time oh, wow. so he was he was born in addiction off heroin plus what i was doing and um he almost didn't make it um he got he got put in the nick unit for almost a month and i quit my job uh in one of the restaurants i was working at and I uh, stayed in the Nate unit with him the whole time. And um, they were winging him off of methadone and watching him shake and withdrawals. And... Yeah, that had to be hard. <laughs> It was the horriblest thing I ever seen. I did a child have to go through that. I can imagine. Actually, I can't imagine. So, yeah. But not even that stopped me from what i was doing or her dss got involved the first time that time and um they you know i i was the one that was not doing anything wrong i had everybody convinced i wasn't doing anything i was clean and sober and blasey blasey but they she had no choice they they knew she was on heroin and pills and um uh the dss told her she didn't go get help she couldn't be a part of clark's life so that's another reason why I quit my job was to take care of him. And um, she finally agreed to go to rehab. And I spent $30,000 for her to go to Pavilion in Black Mountain. And because um, she was too good to go to a homeless shelter or a free rehab or whatever. She needed a luxury mm -hmm. rehab. 
But, uh, yeah, she went. And then um, I, I stayed in Raleigh and Wake Forest at our townhouse, and I was um, – I wasn't no better. I was – I was letting the gang members come around Clark. I was selling drugs. I was um, doing what I had to do that I thought was best for me and Clark because I had no job and I couldn't get any food stamps or Medicaid or nothing. For yeah. Oh, I did get Medicaid, but they wouldn't help me uh, because they thought I was able to work. And uh, so I was, I was trapping out of my Raleigh house with Clark there. And I was, um, I, I let, some bad things happened around Clark and I was using cocaine and drinking all the time. Mm-hmm. And I never slept because I had to feed him every three hours. He went everywhere with me. I did take him to see his mom every Sunday. That was a 10 hour trip. So this boy's basically since he's been born, been an addiction himself and um, been on the road most of his life because I traveled selling my drugs and, and, mm-hmm. and doing what I had to do to take care of us and going to visit his mom. And um, finally I uh, got DSS convinced. She came and do checkups, but I was high the whole time. I don't even know how she didn't know I was high. I don't know how she didn't smell it. Like I did all forms of cocaine. I, I shot it, I smoked it, I cooked it. I did whatever I had to do because I was a seller too, you know? Mm-hmm. And um and I didn't just sell cocaine. I was making my own hair on, but I didn't put fentanyl in it because I had, even though I was trying to be hard and make money, I didn't have the conscience of knowing I could kill somebody. But it didn't even matter. That's my way of my disease thinking is money, mm-hmm. money, money. You could, I still could have killed somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, but anyways, uh, so I finally got all my money together and, and saved up. And um, the opportunity came that we could move to Ocean Isle and I got a beach house on, on the waterway at Ocean Isle Beach in North Carolina. And um, I got away from the gangs. She was still in rehab. And I told her she wanted to help me make this family work. She could move down here. But excuse me, but we had to get away from Raleigh. We just had to. But it didn't stop me. I was still traveling back to Raleigh. I let the gangs take over my, um, my Raleigh house, trapping out of there. Mm-hmm. And I would come up there, bring them the money and let them do their thing. And I would stay up there for two, three days and then come down at like I'm living a normal life. But no, I was bringing packages down here. I was, I was getting known down here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, selling, robbing the plugs down here, doing all kind of crazy things. I even came up with a bright idea on this app called Backpage where you can do hook up with services for women. I, I wasn't hooking up with the women for services. I was hooking up with them because I knew there was going to be prostitution, drugs, and people coming in and out selling drugs. And my, my mentality was I'm going to get known in the back page with these females and give them free drugs and um, wait for these dudes that they call their, uh, their pimps or their connections or whatever, and I was going to, I was going to rob them. And, and I did. I did. That's what I did. I, I was. It was all about. It was all about that street thug mentality that I had that I've done from 15 to 42, and I was going to just keep going till I died to get rich and to keep my supplies and my connections and everything. And um, you know, it, it, it's crazy, but uh, um, so I'm just gonna leave it as that and then i'm gonna fast forward to how i got to recovery okay um 
we um we bought another house i sold the beach house i bought a house here in carolina shores north carolina which is right down the road from um calabash and ocean island sunset and um i was gonna make this family work and um it just it got toxic it got worse uh um i was bringing over some of the guys that were selling drugs for me i was bringing some of my gang members down from raleigh uh um then when my his mom found out I was doing, she wanted to be a part of it. So my I wasn't selfish, and I she convinced me, and I let, I let her be a part of it. But she wasn't doing nothing but just using, taking my drugs and using them for her sake. And uh, it got really toxic. Um, it got so toxic where she was doing things behind my back she didn't want me to know I, she was doing so i set up a baby monitor camera in the house and i moved upstairs because it got so bad i couldn't stand being around her and i was watching what things were going on downstairs in the house but i was up there drinking and doing drugs and i would leave to raleigh and, and come back after i needed a break or whatever but she got so bad that she was she's uh physically started abusing me hitting me she uh at one time i i cut her off from the drugs and, and my supply and everything and, and my and my people that that were selling for me I, I got them to cut her off too and um it got to the point where i was holding clark one time and she literally got a kitchen knife i didn't know she had it and i was arguing with her in the where she was doing her drugs in the closet and she literally grabbed the knife and stabbed me below the heart while I'm holding Clark. And um, I grew up not, I grew up not hitting women, but I should have knocked her head off, but I didn't. I, I, I don't know why, like I was hard in the streets, but when it came to women, no matter how far she pushed me, I never put my hands on her. I never hit her. I never did. I don't know why. It's kind of like I, I wanted her to physically do what she did because I, I knew deep down inside. I never knew. I never loved myself. I never right. loved myself. It was me against the world. It was F the world. And I was, I was just living in it and I was going to do whatever I had to do for me. And that's all it was. And, um, she, you know it got it got really toxic and then she let some of her friends at this time she was back home from a co but then she um um dss got involved the second time because she went on vacation with my sister and i didn't know this until court until i almost got clark um um, um dss because no one would tell me what was going on she went on vacation with my sister and they were at a water park but she was messed up the whole time getting high the whole time and come to find out my sister knew what i was doing and she had control at the time they were at a swimming pool and he drowned in the pool and my sister and some stranger had to jump in and save his life and my sister said that's enough that's enough mm -hmm. and when i realized that they were gone and wasn't coming home i tried to get all to my sister and, and his mom and um I couldn't get a home and I knew something was going on, but they wouldn't tell me, they wouldn't talk to me. But the whole time I'm doing my thing, you know? And um, um, so that's why DSS got involved the second time. So she came home without Clark finally. And um, my sister wouldn't talk to me, whatever. And then DSS shows up at our door unannounced and drug test both of us. And I failed my first drug test 
with DSS the second time and she failed. And then it just got so bad. He got take, he never came home. My sister's friend she was working with ended up taking him because I didn't want him in the system. Right. And I didn't know who this lady was, but I met her a couple of times when we'd come visit with Clark when he was a baby, but uh, it was, it was what it was. And, um, it, it, after Clark was gone, I didn't want to live again. And, um, I've tried to commit suicide three times. I've cut my wrists with razor blades four or five times. I've taken sleeping pills, a whole bottle, try not to wake up. It got so bad that I was just staying upstairs in the dark, listening to music, uh, watching porn, watching what was going on downstairs. I was doing almost eight to $10,000 worth of cocaine. I was shooting it, smoking it, snorting it. I would stay up for weeks at a time. I just wanted to die. I didn't want to live no more. I couldn't take it. I already lost. I was losing my family. I lost Clark for the second time. And unfortunately, it could have been me at any time that I put Clark, he could have been dead. I could have got him taken away from DSS, but unfortunately it was, it was her the second time. And um, I'm not mad or upset anymore about it, but I just, I don't know. So she had to go to IP and she was, you know, driving a nice Lexus and all that. And these people were court ordered and allowed to pee. They're not ready to change their lives. I'm not saying all of them are not ready, but they're mm -hmm. forced. They're court ordered. Right. I've been there. Right. I know how it is. I wasn't ready, especially when I'm forced right. to do you something I don't want to do. It's gotta be the addict's decision or it's not gonna exactly. work. Exactly. I told her, I've been down this road. They're gonna use you for rides. They're gonna think you got money. They're gonna convince you to ride this way instead of stay forward. And um, she's like, I'm grown, I can handle myself. And I was like, okay, well, you ain't built like that, but good luck. And that's exactly what happened. She started bringing uh, plugs over our house and um, sleeping with all of them. She met a guy in there. Um, she started hooking up with him. And she wanted me out the picture at this time. And um, I wouldn't leave. It was, it was both our houses. It was basically mine, but I wouldn't leave. I, I would rather stay there and go through the physical altercations and mentally and physical abuse through her then go start over again even though I had money I just didn't want to leave mm -hmm. and uh, that's the insanity of alcohol and drugs is right. <laughs> yeah and uh, <clears throat> so anyways uh, I was upstairs and I was doing that and then finally I I didn't have I know about God but I don't have a relationship with him and I cried out to God and I said God if something don't change we're going to lose Clark forever and we're both going to die. And, um, you know, <laughs> um, God's got a funny sense of humor because he, uh, answered my prayers. He, um, he, uh, he got me out of there. Um, not how I wanted to, but this is how he got me out of there. Uh, she was coming home from IOP and I locked the doors and I wouldn't let her in because she was out with her, one of the guys from IP doing their thing. And when she finally came home, she couldn't get in. She got really pissed. I was drunk and high. And um, I finally let her in after she busted out the bedroom window to get in. And she had this long wooden stick, like a marker that they marked land in, in there. And she stabbed me in the back with that wooden stick and beat the living crap out of me. And I'm bleeding from head to toe and the cops show up not even five, seven minutes after she shows up. So me, I'm thinking, 
you already had this plan. This is a way to get me out of this house. Um, Cause she was calling the cops saying I was putting my hands on her like twice a month for like six months. And they, they didn't believe her. I never got arrested, but I was like, they're either going to believe you or think you're batshit crazy. And this time they finally believed her. They said, um, she told them she took her pants off and said, I pushed her down and kicked her in the butt and something. I don't know. She said, I tried to physically take her pants off or whatever, but she knew, I knew she was cheating on her. And, um, I, you know, I saw a hickey down there where she, where she took her pants off, but the cops ended up believing her. And I'm like, I record, I do all my homework. I was recording the police there. I was cussing them. I was trying to fight them. I'm like, do your job. I'm bleeding from head to toe. There's no markings on her. We've already lost our son from DSS. Like, this is crazy. Y'all been out here for six months. And, right. and I was like, I already know what time it is. And I, and I was, I was oblivious. I was angry. I was pissed. I was, I was drunk. I was high and they, they arrested me, not her. And, um, I went to the County here for 55 days and, um, I heard about this program. It's a structured program called beach house recovery here in Calabash. Mm -hmm. And, um, so when I did my time serve for assault on a female, simple assault on a, uh, simple assault on a female, um, I couldn't find a ride and uh, all, I don't associate with people down here and all my boys were in Raleigh. So no one could pick me up. I had literally, what I went in with is what I came out with. Uh, except for my, sh I didn't have shoes. They gave me jailhouse flip-flop shoes. I had no mm -hmm. shirt and I had sweatpants. And I walked from the county jail to my house. It took me all day long, but my mission was to get back home because she didn't follow a restraining order, which lasts a year. My time was served. I could go back home. I was going, I didn't know what I was going to do. But on that long walk, I ended up getting four locos and was drinking the whole way. And I knew I had a stash in my house of drugs. And I was going to find that stash. And whoever's there, I was going to, I was going to kill them, basically. I was going to kill them. Mm. And um, because this is what she chose over me and her son. And, um as this is what I thought at the time. And um, I finally made it home. She found out I was home. She called the cops, ambulance and fire truck, said that uh, I couldn't be there by law. And she told the ambulance I was trying to commit suicide again. She told the fireman I was trying to burn the house down because she did not want me there so she could come back home. And she just um, called everybody. Oh, yeah. Trying <laughs> to get me away. Trying to get me back out of there. And um, now to remind you, I put everything in her name because of what I was doing. I paid cash for everything, our house, our cars, everything. I got a trust fund set up in her name because her record was clean. If the feds found out what I was doing, they could seize and take everything. So I got a trust fund, put it in her name. Clark was set for life. She was, we were set for life. But I don't know if that was the smartest thing I ever did because we're not married and I don't have any of that. She's burnt. She's basically burned it all since I blocked her of May of last year or two years ago now, almost two years. But, um, anyways, I got home. I saw all my stuff sold. The house was a wreck. You could see where they were beating down um, sheetrock and destroyed the house looking for my packages that I had hid. I guess they found it cause I never found it. Um, all my stuff was gone. There was guys clothes all over the place. There was dog poop everywhere. I, I, I don't know. It was, it was disgusting. It was a brand new house. And, uh, 
finally I just broke down crying when the police and they were there. They was like, you, we can't arrest you because you did your time. She didn't file that restraining order. And, but this is, you got to figure it out. You, you, you don't need to stay here. It's not going to get any better. And I was like, you're right. You're right. But I was drunk. I was, I'm hardheaded. I don't listen, but I ended up making a phone call to beach house recovery. Now, remind you, you got to pay $1,500 to get in this program, but they, I told them my situation and they were willing to let me stay there for three days to have somewhere to lay my head so I could figure it out. So they came and got me. They told me to grab two suitcases because I'm trying to grab everything. They're like, no, you can't bring all that stuff to this place. And they said, pick two suitcases. So I picked two suitcases and I went. And, um, that was April 10th, 2019. I was drunk, beat red, crying, emotional, kicking and screaming. And um, I did my three days there. And then they said, you know, you if you want to stay, we'll let you stay. Um, but you got to find a job and you got to find ways to job and you got to find ways to your court dates and all this other stuff. And I was like, okay. So I had to make a decision to make, go back to the gangs in Raleigh or stay there. And I didn't want to stay there to be honest with you, but I stayed and I did it, you know, one second at a time. And even though I didn't know what that was at the time, I did it one second at a time. I bit my tongue and I don't know what came over me, but, um, every, every, uh, I went to every meeting. We, 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 we went to AA and NA uh every week every day but i did more i did i did three on monday two and two the rest of the week for the rest of the week and i and i found a job making eight dollars an hour at a beach store and i found a ride so um you know i stayed and stayed and stayed and then um you know i'm still fighting for my life and in the process i was still didn't want to give up on uh clark either through dss and um you know, it's, it's my conversation with him or anything. Nope. Not at the time. Not since I got arrested and got out and been in the program. I had no contact with him. None. And, um, I, I, um, I ended up, I ended up taking suggestions from my counselor cause he, he's the one, he came on Thursdays and Saturdays there and I went to every meeting. I took suggestions, but I didn't have a sponsor at the time and I wasn't working the steps. But uh, first of all, I had to block all my, all my, all my contacts, her, his mom. Um, and I didn't want to, cause I still was in that state if I was going to stay or not and try to save our, our relationship and our family. But it, it, I just took the suggestion anyway. And, uh, and that was a battle because starting over two suitcases, I just left, I just left a million dollars, didn't have my son left his mom starting over two suitcases and didn't have anything and, and that battle I, I still battle with that but it's getting better is i know how to make it in the streets but i'll lose everything i work so hard for right but um i ended up staying seven months and then i finally got in between the seven months i, I showed up to court now every court date and i finally got visitation rights but I remind you he was in Asheville, north carolina and i'm here so that's a 10 hour trip there and back. And I finally got two hour visitation rights. Um, I started getting rights as a, as a single father. I had no rights from the beginning. I, and remind you, I passed 
I knew how to pass my drug test, even though I was still getting high before the restructured program. So I only failed one, but I had no rights whatsoever. It was up to mom, basically, is what they were what they were dealing with. But she's failed every drug test. And then I came in the game late, too. So I, I didn't stop fighting, but I would show up to every court date with a support network that I, that I built. I have, remind you, I have no family support, right. nothing. I built a support network. I would bring at least eight to 10 people to court with me every single court date for Clark to show the judge I'm really trying to change my life. When I totally surrendered to the program and got a sponsor, this is when things started, the ball started rolling for me. I, uh, I, I didn't even trust the process. I just kept doing what was suggested and put the hard footwork in. And um, I, um, I ended up getting two hour visitation rights through DSS in Asheville. I would pay somebody to take me up there and bring me back the same day so I couldn't miss work. Cause I'll, by the time I was paying rent at the structured program, paying gas and living, I was living off $30 a week. I was barely making it. So right. um, I've never worked for $8 an hour in my entire life. Plus do the right thing without stealing a car or driving a car or whatever I had to do to get around, you know, and um, actually asking for help. But through the program, I got saved. I got baptized. I went every Sunday on my knees. Even This is before I even had a relationship with God. It was all free. I had to try something different when I totally surrendered. And right. I went every Sunday on my knees and prayed, you know, and, and that's something I've never done before. And, um, but anyways, I uh, the judge told me that I had to find somewhere to live in order after visitation rights in order to try to see if I could get Clark back because you're supposed to do two hours, then the weekend, the nights, and then the weekends, and then, and then go from there, right? But because he was so far away, the caseworker, she, uh, I'm not, I'm not down in women or sex or not or anything like that. But my caseworker was was a lesbian, and she, she, she did not want me to have Clark. She was totally against it. So they. Her, and it's all females in there, and I'm the only male in there besides my male lawyer that was court-appointed lawyer now, mind you. And he was young, and he didn't act like he really knew what he was doing, but um, they were all against me except for my lawyer. And, um, and uh, they wanted to close the case. And I've seen cases go on for like two years or more, and they wanted to close my case for some reason because she was wanting to – the lady who had Clark wanted to adopt him because we were never going to get our lives together. And uh, the judge um, subpoenaed her to court, the lady who had Clark, and she came up on the testimony and she was like, um, that's my son, I'm his mother, they're never going to get their lives together. And the judge, she brought a photo album, like her and her family and Clark, like she's been raising him the whole time. And the judge was like, man, we appreciate what you're doing. But didn't they make it very clear to you that if one of them got their lives together, that by law we have to try to give their child back to the biological family parents right and she was like yeah is the goal yeah and she said yeah they told me that he's like well your motives are wrong and i'm sorry but that that them too is his real mom and dad and we appreciate what you're doing but his whole attitude the judge's whole attitude changed and um he told me that i had to find somewhere to to prove that i could take care of clark and uh the whole time now reminding you adam at light and all them were against me but I proved myself. I found uh, somebody that was willing to let me and Clark come live with them. I found another person that was willing for me and Clark to live with them. 
I, I made the rides up there. I stayed committed. I did everything the judge asked me to do um, with no license, no family support, making $8 an hour, but I made it happen somehow, some way. It was God, but, you know, I had to put the footwork in, and, and right, it right. was hard. But, uh, but um, anyways, I did that. I moved in with um, a guy that came to our home group, and he um, – let me stay there and remind you Clark went home yet, but I set everything up, child proofed it, all that. Um, DSS came out. Um, he did get to come home for one weekend, no overnights. He got to come home for one weekend. And then if all was good, we had to take him back that weekend. And then the next following weekend, he could come home. And if everything was good, she came out that Sunday. And if she didn't see anything wrong, he got to stay. So I got him on Valentine's Day, February 14th on Valentine's Day. Remind you, Valentine's Day is not just another day for me to get drunk and high. Never was right. special, never meant yeah. anything to me, but I was clear-headed, clean and sober. And that day was one of the, the best days of now it's a Valentine's for me because me and Clark got kind of re reunited. Right. He wasn't, uh, I didn't get full custody at the time, but he got to stay full time with me because everything I was doing was correct. And, and the judge told the caseworker and them, we're not picking up dirty rocks no more. Unfortunately, Mr. Meadows came in the game late, but he has proved himself and gone more and beyond out of his way to prove to y'all every loophole y'all thrown at us, we're picking up clean rocks from here on out. And he said, y'all are all going to be on board, or I'll give him his son back today. And I was like, whoa, what, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? So... But um, yeah, um, um, he ended up coming home February 14th, um, full time, and then he stayed, and then the coronavirus came. <laughs> right. And I got laid off of my job at um, the beach store, and um, you know, uh, filed unemployment, and they didn't do their paperwork. And remind you, my boss was in my home group, and she's um, got seven years clean and sober, and she's been my biggest supporter, and. I, f I don't know what happened, but as soon as Clark came home, she just stopped being committed and supported and didn't do her paperwork. So I had to appeal unemployment, mm -hmm. and I didn't get it till May. Oh, and wow. on top of that, the guy I was staying with, he let his ex-wife move in with her, his ex-wife move in with him, and she didn't want me and Clark there. After all this, and I'm like, what is going on, man? Like, So me and Clark hid in our room at his house, Cause he's three years old. Like I can't control a three year old without right. her getting on him, getting on that lady's nerves. So, but anyways, I started looking for a place and um, I finally got my unemployment and they gave me a lump sum check of the back pay and all that. So I reached out on Facebook looking for a place to live as a single father with a three year old kid. And this guy on Facebook, has five years clean and sober. He's a preacher's son and he owns a beach house and it's fully furnished. Everything's included and he wanted to give me and Clark a chance. So I gave him the whole check for rent, deposit, everything. He didn't need a cosign or nothing because he heard my story. He wanted to give us a chance. Nice. So um, I um, remind you now the whole time. I've been trying to get Clark in daycare and all this. I still don't get food stamps. He's got Medicaid. I can't get government assistance. I don't know why the funding's so bad here, but uh, I've been doing side jobs ever since. Um, 
reaching out and people knowing, you know, what I can do. And they would pick us up. And I finally got him in daycare because I was bringing the, to the side jobs with me. But I finally got him in daycare, but they were willing to pick us up. And, you know, I was making $10 an hour on the side, but I had to make sure we had to eat and everything. So, uh you know, through this whole process, you know, I, I would see my sponsor every Sunday. I still talk to my counselor once a week. I, I'm involved with the home home group, boys and girls home group. She comes out. She's my she's my voice. She's she helps me with everything because I'm not good on computers and trying to um, fill out things and all that. So, uh, you know, I, I um, through this whole process, I've gotten through the 12 steps with my sponsor. Remind you now, I've been through three sponsors. My first one didn't do any work with me. I had to fire him. My second one, I was going through the steps when I was in the structure program. We got to step 12, and then he got his two years and relapsed. So oh, I had to find another job. sponsor. And the sponsor I wanted, I finally ended up getting. Anyways, he's got 13 years, 14 years now cleaning, so we just sell it a birthday. <laughs> And um, he's been to prison. I relate to him. He's got me. He did a thorough, thorough step work because I didn't know I was going to do my step work over, but I accepted it if I was going to. But there might have been something I missed with my second sponsor that I didn't get. And I don't want to get two years. I'm not, I don't have two years yet. So I right. don't want to, I don't want that happening to me. So right. God's, God, you know, is, you know, my God is, is doing so much for me what I can't do for myself. Yep, he's and I do good. have fear still. still it, it's gotten better because every loophole that comes my way, I've knocked out. But my license, I can't get them till 2022. But um, they were suspended indefinitely. I have eight DUIs. I got two of them dismissed. Um, they were suspended indefinitely, but the lady heard my story. Unfortunately, my last DUI was um, – less than three years so by law even if they can get them back they said i have to wait three years right there's nothing right. else i can do so yeah. i I'm, I'm doing this i'm raising a three-year-old son i'm doing my recovery you know what i'm saying I, i'm, I'm now, finding when did rides they tell I'm, you that you got full custody of clark oh yeah oh yeah sorry so on, it's like the best did, part of the I, story mike <laughs> i know i know i know i, I, I know i know i'm um I'm nervous. I'm all over the place, but I ended up, uh, yeah. So through the Corona, thank you for bringing me back down. <laughs> so through the, so through the coronavirus, this is, I've never, this is, this is amazing, but I'm going to have an opportunity to, to thank the judge one day, but coronavirus got really bad. We couldn't come to court. And we had to do it virtual. My, my parenting caseworker came over. We set up the laptop computer, the judge, the DA, the, the DSS caseworker, and other people were on there. And um, he rewarded me full custody of Clark on 6-3-2022. That's June 3rd, 2022, virtual, on a computer. And um, I didn't like it because I wanted to go shake the judge's hand and, and right. tell him uh, that I'm so blessed because he kept his word if I was going to do the right thing because he told me the ball was in my hand. Which end zone did I want to go to? And I said, I want to go to the winning end zone. And I would go to any leaps I had to in my recovery and fight for Clark. And he gave me full custody that day. That's powerful. Um, that is so awesome. Mike, your story is powerful 
And when this episode airs, it is going to hit somebody. I mean, it's such an amazing story of quote unquote, hopeless addict felon to full-time responsible single dad who won his son back, who fought and won. I mean, that's amazing. That is amazing. And I mean, I'm amazingly proud of you and you should be amazingly proud of yourself. And you are a remarkable human being. You really are. And I really think that you're gonna, all that effort that, you know, cause you wanted to be the top of the food chain, you know, on, on, we'll call it the dark side. <laughs> so yeah. now that you're over, you know, that you, you've come to the other side, you know, I think that you can, you're, you, you have the potential to be just as successful, just as successful and, and, um, a, an amazing dad. I mean, that boy is going to know that what you overcame, you know, he's going to know, he's going to hear this story one day and it's going to be like, my dad never gave up. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, thank you so much for being on this channel and sharing your story, Mike. Thank you.